Well, good morning and uh, welcome. Glad you're here today. Glad that you braved the weather to make it out and uh, to celebrate and worship with us this morning. Um, this morning, we are in a series called The God Who Gives. And uh, over these few weeks leading up to Christmas, we're looking at the good gifts that our good God gives. That our God is a generous God. Do you believe that? See, some people, they look at God and they wrongly believe that, um, that he's just an angry, uh, grumpy, kind of stuffy God. That he doesn't really give good gifts. And the only way that he gives gifts if, is if you deserve them. But that's as far from the truth as it gets. In fact, all of God's gifts, he, he is so generous that he gives in two ways. One, he gives in grace. He gives us things that we don't deserve. That's what grace means. Grace is when I get what I do not deserve. And he also gives gifts of mercy. And mercy is when I don't get what I do deserve. He gives gifts of mercy as well. And uh, this morning, we're going to be in the text again. And uh, we're continuing in the book of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 1, starting in verse 26. And we're going to do just like we did last Sunday, where I'm going to just teach... Right through the passage, it's a familiar one to many of you. Um, if not, then uh, it'll be exciting for you because you'll get to hear about the way that uh, the announcement of Jesus' birth came. Um, but as we, as we go through the text, I'm just going to teach straight through it. And on your, on your notes, there's a big empty box. And I would encourage you, just think and listen and, and open up the word with me. And whenever you see God giving a gift to Mary or to someone else in the text, or maybe even to you. Why don't you just jot a note there? What's something good that he gives that comes to your mind as we study the text together? Does that sound good? And then at the end, I'll make some observations of some specific gifts I see that you'll probably notice on your own uh, as we close uh, the message this morning. But let me pray first. Father, thank you for Jesus. And thanks for your grace to us. Thanks for the safety of getting us here this morning in the snow. And uh, Lord, we pray for all those who, who didn't venture out today. Uh, Holy Spirit, might you encourage their hearts this week to walk with Jesus. Um, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd work in and through me today, that you'd uh, teach your word through me and even to me as I teach. And I pray against the enemy. Uh, he hates when we study your word. He hates when um, the gospel is preached and people know Jesus more and meet him for the first time. So. Instead, would you uh, bind him and work in our hearts in a powerful way today that we'd leave changed? Seeing your goodness and your gifts to us and maybe even encouraged, uh, like Mary, to step out in faith. Father, we love you. I thank you for Jesus and pray all this through him. Amen. So Luke chapter 1, we're going to start right in verse 26. And like I said, I'm just going to teach through the passage together with you this morning. So let's read. Chapter, 20, chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. When the sixth month, if you remember last Sunday, the passage right before this was when uh, Gabriel shows up to Elizabeth, or to, excuse me, to Zechariah, and Zechariah and Elizabeth are going to have a child in their old age. And so in the sixth month, uh, this means Elizabeth is about six months pregnant. And here comes Gabriel on the scene six months later. And Gabriel is one of only two angels who are named in Scripture. Did you know that? 
And each time Gabriel shows up, he shows up uh, in some way announcing uh, the coming of Jesus. He does it to Daniel in in Daniel chapter 8. And uh, he does it to, to Zechariah earlier in this chapter and then here to Mary. And it says he appeared, uh, he was sent from God. See, angel just means messenger. Did you know that? Sent one. That's an angel. One who's, who's a messenger for the Lord. And so Gabriel, he's on a mission, and he's sent by God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, city might be a bit of a stretch. Because Nazareth was a tiny little town. It was a small rural town of approximately on the high end of the estimates, 400 people. Now today, the city of Nazareth is a couple hundred thousand people. I, I believe it's the largest Arab city in, Naz- in uh, Israel. But back then, Nazareth was uh, a tiny little town. Today, it's like Fort Wayne. Back then, it was like Clunet. It's just tiny. And, and you didn't get there um, on purpose. You usually ended up there by accident. It's kind of one of those towns, right? It's just small. It's kind of out of the way. It's a small farming community, very rural. Most people who lived there were probably illiterate uh, just because they wouldn't have had the amenities of a larger town, of a larger city. So to call it a city it might be a bit of a stretch. But in any way, Nazareth is where Gabriel appears. And because it was such a small town, do you know outside of the New Testament, Nazareth isn't mentioned anywhere else in ancient writings? Um, uh, it's not mentioned by Josephus or in the Apocrypha or in the, the Talmud. Why? Because it's a tiny little town and nothing important ever happened in Nazareth. Nothing happened there. It, it, was, a, it was a small farming community. Rural people, like I said, most were illiterate. In, in fact, that's why Nathaniel, when he sees Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 46, says, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Like, Really? The, the, hmm, yet God sends Gabriel to Nazareth. You know what? This, that verse to me gives me hope. That even though we live in a small town, in a rural place where most people in the world have never heard of and will never hear of, that God's at work here. He's at work in small towns. He's at work in small places. He cares about us. Isn't that good news? That's great news. And uh, he doesn't relegate us to the sidelines. He, he, he uses us in his kingdom and for his purposes, just like he used this tiny little town of Nazareth. So take heart. See, Nazareth, by the way, uh, the, the name, its root, it shares a root with the Hebrew word that means a shoot, which is from what we just read. That, do you remember what we read from Isaiah chapter 11 during the Advent reading? There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. The, the Hebrew word is netzer. Nazareth likely comes from the same root. So Nazareth really means shoot town. It's shoot town, man. It's, it's where the shoot from the, the root of David, the stump of Jesse, is going to come. And its branch from his roots shall bear forth fruit. Well, we're in Nazareth. And Gabriel shows up, verse 27, to a virgin, to a young girl, who's betrothed to a man whose name is Joseph of the house of David. So... And the virgin's name was Mary. Mary is betrothed to Joseph. Your, might, your translation might say engaged or promised. Um, in this day and age, people were married as young as age 12. And Mary is likely 13, maybe 14 years old. Can you imagine? Girls, are any of you uh, 13, 14 years old? 
No, you're older than that. So younger than you. It's incredible, isn't it? An eighth grader or a freshman in high school, that's Mary. And, and it, was, it was rare that they weren't betrothed before age 18. In ancient Jewish marriages, the word engaged or betrothed had a different meaning than today. It was, it was more than just being engaged, but it was less than being married. Yet, in order to get out of an engagement, it was the same as, considered the same as divorce. It was like when you were betrothed, your, uh, your marriage was, was inaugurated. And when you actually were married, your, your marriage was consummated. So it started, and then what would happen is uh, the, the guy would, would leave his bride-to-be. He'd say, I'm coming back for you. Hold on, I'll be right back. And he goes back to his father's house. And oftentimes he would add on a room to his father's house and make room for his new-to-be bride. And then at a time unannounced, he would come back with all his friends, grab his new bride, and they would go to his father's house. Does that sound familiar? Not at all, does it? I mean, Jesus says what? He says, um, uh, I've come to bring you life. You're going to be with me forever. Behold, in my father's house, there's, there's lots of room, many rooms. So I'm going to prepare a place for you. So wait right here. I'll be back. He goes back. He ascends to heaven. And he's coming again at an unannounced time to grab his bride, the church, to be with him forever. Isn't that cool? Well, that's Mary and Joseph. Mary's waiting for Joseph to come and get her. And Joseph uh, and Mary both, there is from the house of David. Jesus would sit on the throne of King David. He would be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He had a kingly heritage through the line of David, through his adopted daddy, Joseph. What about Mary? Well, Mary was a relative, we're going to find out, of Elizabeth, who was a descendant of Aaron. So Mary, being a relative of Elizabeth, came from a priestly line. Um, so Jesus had a priestly heritage, a kingly heritage through his adopted daddy Joseph and a priestly heritage through his uh, mother Mary. And if, if she was from a priestly heritage, I wonder, was Mary's dad a priest in the local synagogue in small town Nazareth? Was he the pastor of the church there, in other words? Think about that for a second. What's, if you know the story of what's going to happen, Mary, a teenager... And a virgin is going to be pregnant with a son. And who's her dad? The pastor. Where? In a small town. Now, I don't know that that's true, but it's likely true. There's a good shot of that being true. She came from a ministry family. Man, this is a scandalous story. And Mary, like I said, 13, maybe 14 years old. Another thing that's curious to me about her age is have you ever noticed how often God uses young people? That's one of the things I miss about youth ministry. Students, you, you need to know that, that God uses you, no matter how old you are, no matter how young you are. In fact, I think I could make the argument that more often than not, God uses young people in the Bible than he uses older people. Now, that's not always true. There's older people that he uses as well, but but don't ever let anyone, as Paul wrote to Timothy, look down on you because of your youth. Trust him. Be bold. Step out in faith and let him use you. Mary was 13, maybe 14 years old. And God had big plans for her. Well, look, the angel, we're only a couple verses in. I better keep moving. Verse 28, he came to her and he said, Gabriel did, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord 
is with you. Oh, favored one. Do you know what that phrase means? The Greek word here is the word charis, which means grace. We get the word grace from that word. And uh, so, oh, graced one. What's grace? Well, it's when I don't get, or when I get, excuse me, what I don't deserve. It's undeserved favor. It's undeserved love from God. Did Mary do anything that made her exceptional among all the girls? I don't think so. Uh, She just was graced. God chose to show her favor and to show her grace. It's the same word uh, in the Old Testament that's, that's talked about of Noah. Noah found favor with the Lord. And you'll notice with Noah, too, all the little kids' Bibles get it wrong. They say that God was looking for somebody who was really good to save all the people, and he found Noah, and then he saved everybody through Noah. But really, if you read the text, you know what happens first? It says, first, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, and then it says that Noah walked with God, that God showed him grace first. It's the same thing with Mary. Mary was a favored one, a graced one. How has God shown grace to you? Maybe that's a gift you could write down. What's a way that he's shown you grace? But look what he says to her. He says, the Lord is with you. This is definitely a reason that she's called favored. But Mary, probably like you and I, if we had Gabriel show up to us this afternoon, uh, was greatly troubled. Not just troubled, but greatly troubled. Everybody who sees Gabriel is troubled. He's He's a tough guy, tough dude. And he's frightening when you see him. And she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. Don't be afraid. Uh, You found favor with God. You found favor. Sometimes I think we need to hear that in terms of approaching the Lord, whether it's uh, for comfort or for forgiveness or with a request. You don't need to be afraid to go to him. If you've trusted Jesus, you've found favor with God. And behold, Gabriel says, you will conceive in your womb and you will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Behold means look, pay attention, don't miss this, Mary. You're going to have a child and his name will be Jesus. The Hebrew name for Jesus is Yeshua or Joshua. I share that name. It means the Lord, Yah, saves. Shua. Yah, Yahweh, it's a conjunctive word of two words put together. The Lord saves. That's what Jesus' name means. He will be great, Gabriel says, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. That had to be an encouraging word to her. Not only are you going to bear a son, but you're going to bear a son who will be called great. In fact, he's going to be the one that keeps all the promises that your people have been, uh, been waiting to be kept for hundreds of years. He's going to sit on the throne of David. This, this, he's the Messiah. That's your son, Mary. That's who you're going to have. And not only will he be great, Paul later says that he is the greatest. Look at Philippians chapter 2, being found in human form. See, Jesus came, he was God, and he put on flesh at Christmas. He's not some man who becomes God like every other religion teaches. He's God who becomes man. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow 
in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Peter says in Acts 4.12 that there's no other name in heaven by which we must be saved. No other name given among men by which we must be saved. And Gabriel goes on to Mary, he says, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom, of his kingdom, there'll be no end. So he's gonna sit on David's throne. He's gonna fulfill the promise to David, but he's also gonna be head over Israel. Jacob, what was his name changed to? Israel, all of God's people. He's the father of God's people. He's gonna gonna reign over God's people. The Jewish people had been expecting a Messiah to come for centuries. And when the Messiah would come, the Old Testament taught he would come on the day of the Lord. And two things would happen on the day of the Lord. Two things. One, uh, salvation would come for all of God's people. That's a really good thing. But there was a second thing that would come that God's people rejoiced about is that there would be judgment on those who who did wicked and, and who didn't belong to God's people. So salvation and judgment, and the way the Jewish people saw it is that it was all going to come at the same time. And and on the day of the Lord, there'd be salvation for God's people and judgment for the wicked. What we find out later is that those two things are delayed and salvation has come, but judgment is later. That the day of the Lord really is split into two. That God's salvation has come. That's why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 that today is the day of salvation. But judgment is delayed. Don't miss it. It's still coming. You should trust the Lord. You should trust Jesus. And Jesus is the Messiah who brings both salvation and judgment. Well, you ever hear the song, uh, a Christmas song, Mary, Did You Know? I I, I might offend you if I say this because maybe you really like that song. But I, I really don't like that song because I read this text and I go, okay, Gabriel just told her he's gonna keep the promise to David. He's going to keep the promise to Jacob. Uh, He's going to be the Messiah who's going to reign over everything, (laughs) over all of God's people. I think she knew. I think she knew is what I'm saying. I think Mary knew. And Mary said to the angel, well, how will this be then since I'm a virgin? Mary asks a question. Does that sound familiar? Did anybody else ask a question of Gabriel? Last Sunday, Zechariah is in the temple serving God and Gabriel shows up to him and he says, "Uh, Zechariah, your prayer has been answered. Your wife's going to bear a son, even in her old age. And what does Zechariah do? He asks, how can that be? I'm old and she's advanced in years, right? And what happens to Zechariah when he questions Gabriel? He's silenced for, for nine months. He can't talk or hear. So, I wonder what's going to happen to Mary. She's asking questions too. <laughs> Mary's going to get it. Mary says to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? But there's a difference between Mary and Zechariah because Zechariah, his question was asked as a matter of doubt. Uh, that can't happen. Mary's was simply a question of clarification. How do I know that? Well, based on the response, look at how Gabriel responds to her. The angel answered her, well, the the Holy Spirit will come upon you. He just tells her how it's going to happen. It was clear that Gabriel's questioning was one of doubt. when, When you hear a proclamation of the Lord or you hear about a plan maybe for ministry or you hear about something and you go, are you more like Zechariah or are you more like Mary? Zechariah goes, there's no way that would ever happen. 
That's craziness. You're cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, Josh. No way. Uh, or you like Mary. Well, how would that happen? When you think about, I mean, we've got a big one in front of us, right? We announced the 30 for 30 journey that's going to be starting in January. And some renovations and additions to our facility, Lord willing, that will help us in ministry to be more effective. It's going to help our facility live up to its name to facilitate ministry in better ways. When you hear about it, do you go, there is no, no stinking way. Uh Uh-uh. I don't believe it for a second. Are you like Zechariah? Are you like like Mary? Where Mary uh, said, how's that going to happen? And we're going to be laying more and more of that out to you over the coming weeks. You need to know we've been praying about it for uh, a couple years. And uh, those who are in leadership in our church, all of those men are unified around that goal. And uh, we sense the Lord's leading in a big way. So we hope you'd be more like Mary than like Zechariah. And the angel answered her. He said, uh, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. Uh, Gabriel's answer to Mary is simply this. God will do it. God will do it. He is the one who's going to do it, Mary. Do you trust him? Are you willing to follow him? Are you willing to step out in faith? God will do it. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And he said, and if you need more proof, behold... Uh, verse 36, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. Now, we don't know what type of relative Elizabeth was to Mary, but likely because of the age difference, probably her aunt or a distant cousin. And uh, everyone in the family would have known by this point that Elizabeth uh, couldn't have children. <laughs> or maybe we had talked about it last Sunday. Maybe she had tried and had some miscarriages or We don't know. But Mary, um, Gabriel says, she's pregnant. In fact, she's six months pregnant. You can see that she's pregnant. (laughs) For nothing, look at verse 37, nothing will be impossible with God. Whether it's somebody who's advanced in years like Elizabeth or somebody who's very young like Mary, uh, the whole gamut... (laughs) Nothing will be impossible with God. Do you believe that? Favored ones. Do you believe that? Because that's what Gabriel says to Mary, the favored one. If you've trusted Jesus and you have his grace, you're like Mary. You're a favored one. Do you believe it? Here's what God's word says. Uh, Ah, Lord God, Jeremiah writes, it's you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power. There was a song we used to sing in my church growing up. Ah, Lord God. Thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power. And then it go on and there was a, a chorus. Nothing is too difficult for thee. Nothing is too difficult for thee. Do you believe that? Whenever I read that verse, I think of that song. Even when I hear that, that line from Gabriel, nothing will be impossible with God. God says this many times. Uh, the Lord said to Abraham, when he had announced to them in their old age that they would conceive. Why did Sarah laugh and say that I say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Look what God asks him. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard? What's the answer? No. 
Now, are there some things that, um, that are impossible for God in, in some ways? Like, there's certain things that he won't do, right? Like, he can't do anything that's contrary to his nature. God can't make a rock so big that he can't lift it, right? There's certain things he can't do, but, but there's nothing that's impossible for him or with him. Is there anything too difficult? Do you, do you believe it? Matthew 19, Jesus even says it. He says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, well, then who can be saved? You have people in your family, and you go, there's no way they're ever going to change. There's no possible way they're ever going to turn to Jesus. I'm, there's no, I'm, why, would, why would I share the gospel with them? There's no way. Jesus would say, uh, well, with man it's impossible, but with God... All things are possible. Again, back to the 30 for 30 journey. Um, how is that possible to, to raise that kind of money, to do that sort of thing? Well, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Would we trust him and seek him and truly pray like a child without cynicism? Let's see what he does. Behold, Jeremiah says, I am the Lord. He writes, uh, the God of all flesh is anything too hard for me. I wonder how Mary will respond. She's a virgin. Uh, Mary, you're going to be pregnant. She's like, but I'm a virgin. Yeah, but you're going to be pregnant. Well, how will I know this? Well, the Holy Spirit's going to do it, Gabriel says. God's going to do it. And and he's going to come upon you. And in fact, if you need more proof, your cousin Elizabeth is pregnant. And there is nothing that's impossible with God. I wonder what Mary's going to do. How will she respond? Will she go, yeah, but that's, I don't know. that I, I still don't know that I believe it. Look what she does. She believes. And Mary said, behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. First, she recognizes her place that um, I am the servant. In other words, she's saying, not my will, Lord, but yours. Not what I want, but what you're doing. I exist. I'm here for your glory, not my own. Students, again, 13-year-old girl. When I was in high school is when I became a Christian. I don't remember all the details, uh, but I, I remember the place. It was at Creighton University in, in Omaha, Nebraska. I was about 14 years old, about the same age as Mary. And I was there at a concert, and I heard for the first time this idea of Jesus wanting to have a relationship with me. See, I had grown up going to church, and I had memorized all kinds of creeds and even Bible verses. And what does this mean, and these and thous. And I, I could quote all kinds of scripture to you, but I didn't really know what it meant. And I went along to this concert, and I heard for the first time that, that uh, it's not about what you know, Josh. It's about who you know. And have you repented of your sin and trusted Jesus Christ? And, and I don't remember a lot about that night uh, or even the next uh, four to five months where I, where I really uh, put, took hold of my faith. But I do remember one thing that um, part of that whole journey for me was going, you know what, Lord, I don't get it, but I believe And I trust you. And over time then saying, whatever you want to do with me, I'm yours. That came back to haunt me when I got into college and I was studying architecture and I was on a a, a work trip or a work trip. It was just an evangelism trip with Campus Crusade. And I was at Panama City Beach 
And one night, sitting on the beach, and, um, and I remember who I was with, and we were sitting there and, and talking, and I remember sitting there alone for a while afterwards going, Lord, here I am. Whatever you want from me, I'll do it. A few weeks later, it became clear he was calling me into ministry. I, uh, at the last minute, overnight, those of you who know me, this doesn't surprise you, but at the last minute, um, I overnighted my resume to Moody Bible Institute, not knowing there was like a line of 500 to 1,000 kids waiting to get in. I probably would have never done it. And I, I got in. I got in. And I transferred to Moody, and now I'm here. All because of simply saying, Lord, I'm yours. My desire was to serve him. Not to serve myself, to serve him. And that continues to be the desire of my heart. As I lead you as a church, as, as we make decisions, as a board, as, it's to serve the Lord. Lord, I'm your servant, not my will, but yours. Let, let it be according to your word. Are you willing to make that choice and make that decision? In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. So Mary heads south to Judah, to the hill country. After saying, I'm a servant, I trust you, I'm going to do whatever you call me to do, Lord, she takes off to go see with her own eyes her cousin Elizabeth, or Aunt Elizabeth, whoever it was. And she entered the house of Zechariah, and she greeted Elizabeth. So she shows up at their house, and she greets them. And they lived in the hill country of Judah, um, uh, it'd be, it'd be, so let's say Clunet is Nazareth. It'd be like going on a trip to, to Kokomo. That's about the distance. And she shows up and, uh, imagine if you're going to Southern Indiana, uh, the hill country, and it's, you're, you're not quite in, in redneck territory, but it's not quite like home. And now I don't say that to disparage your family, but just to make you laugh and make you understand that these people were normal people like you and me. They came from a small town, Mary did. She may not have known how to read or write. And she goes to a family who lives in the hill country. Common, everyday, small town people. And this is who God's using. And she gets there, remember, 13, 14-year-old girl on her own. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, she's pregnant with John the baptizer, leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For, when, for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. The mother of my Lord, first she says, this, this had to have been pretty comforting to Mary, doesn't it? And even confirming of what she had heard Gabriel say that the son she was going to give birth to would in fact be God come in the flesh. Uh, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Elizabeth confirms, unlike Zechariah, her husband, Mary, when she heard the word of the Lord from Gabriel the first time, she believed it. She believed it. If there was anything you could say was impossible for God... If you're a 13-year-old girl and you're a virgin and maybe you're even a pastor's daughter and you've remained pure your whole life, uh, one thing that would probably be impossible in your mind is to become pregnant. (laughs) Right? But she believed. 
Look, that's what, that's what Elizabeth says. She was filled with the Spirit when she spoke. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. What's the Lord telling you? Do you believe him? She demonstrated biblical faith, didn't she? Well, what's biblical faith? Well, first, it's believing God's word. It's believing what his word actually says. If you're a Christian, it's when you, when you read God's word and it tells you something that's contrary to the way you're living your life, you repent and you believe it, right? If you're not a Christian, it's uh, like me when I was in high school, believing God's word and going, you know what? I need Jesus Christ. I need a savior. And then it's not just believing it in my mind, but it's acting upon it. It's taking some sort of action. So if I'm becoming a Christian, I repent. If I'm following the Lord, I follow the lead of the Holy Spirit, and I do what the Lord is telling me through his word. I believe God's word, and I act upon it. But you know what? A lot of times when I act upon it, I don't feel like it. And so believing, it's believing God's word and acting upon it no matter how I feel. Well, why would I do that? Why would Mary do that? Put this, now, let's go back. Let's put ourselves in the place of Mary. Uh, the, the word of the Lord comes to her through Gabriel. And first part she got, right? She believed God's word. And then uh, did she act upon it? I th- yeah, she did. She, she was obedient. She said, uh, I'm the servant of the Lord. Be unto me as, as according to your word. Let it be as according to your word. And, but I wonder, how do you think she felt in the moment or in the moments afterwards or the weeks afterwards or the months afterwards? Oh, I don't know that my dad's ever going to believe this. What will my family think? I live in a small town. Everybody knows everyone. What will they think? What will Joseph think? What about, what will they do? I I don't know that I want to do this, Lord. I I don't know that I want to be obedient. But no matter how she felt, she was, wasn't she? Why? Why? Because the Lord, through Gabriel in her spot, promised her a good result, didn't he? He said that this son uh, will be called uh, the son of the Most High God. He'll deliver all the people of their sins. He'll be head over the house of Jacob. He'll sit on the throne of David. He promised a good result if she'd simply believe and obey, no matter how she felt. And by the way, God keeps all of his promises, doesn't he? So Mary had great faith. She believed God when it made no sense to her. Do you? She trusted his word to be true. Do you? And Mary said this then. Here's her response. She said, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Look at Mary's response. What does she do? She worships. She magnifies the Lord. Another way of saying this is she makes Jesus to look great. She worships. Now, curiously, look what else she says. She says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Who needs a Savior? People who are sinful, right? Uh, the, the Roman Catholic Church will teach that, that Mary was, is a mediatrix or a co-mediator along with Jesus and that she herself is sinless. Well, if she's sinless, why does she need a Savior? She says her, her spirit rejoices in God, her Savior. And she magnifies the Lord. Again, think if you're in Mary's spot, how would you be responding right now? All those worries circling in your mind. What's everybody going to say? What's everybody going to think? Would you be scared? 
I would. Would you be nervous? Ladies, you can relate to this much more than the men can in the room. Would you be anxious? Would you be confused? Would you be a worrier? Do you think Mary ever worried? How's this going to happen? What's this going to be like? I bet she did. She had to have doubted at some point, but ultimately she put her trust in the Lord, didn't she? And it reminds me that when I doubt God, I worry. But when I believe his word, I worship. And we don't see Mary really doubting. We don't see her worrying. Not that's recorded anyway. Instead, we see her believing and worshiping. And Mary goes on, for he has looked upon, or Mary goes on, excuse me, he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And they do. That's why we're talking about her 2,000 years later. (laughs) Because God kept his promise. For he who is mighty has done great things. But look, she personalizes it, doesn't she? He's done great things. What's she say? For me. Boy, that's pretty selfish of her, isn't it? I mean, because this Savior is going to be for the whole world. How dare Mary say he's done great things for me? That's not selfish. That's just, that's worship, isn't it? What about you? What, what great things has the Lord done for you? What good gifts has he given you? Be thankful for them. Enjoy them. He's a good God. And holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. You proud in the thoughts of your heart? That's what struck me as I read this this week. It, it could take on many forms. It could take on the idea of thinking, I'm right and everyone else is wrong. Uh, it could take on the form of being critical of people the moment uh, they come in the room or, or, or critical of their motives. Or just going worse even. All uh, oh, these two sections over here... <laughs> Y'all are crazy. That's if, I think, if I'm thinking that in my heart, right? Is that wrong? Yeah, it's wrong. Yet don't we do that so often? We think we're right and everybody else is wrong. That we're right and we're cynical of everyone else. Don't be proud in the thoughts of your heart. Mary's speaking in the power of the Spirit here. She says, he scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Be like Mary. Pray for me to be like Mary, to be humble, to to say, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Be it according to your word. For he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Writer of Proverbs said that the Lord mocks the mockers, but is gracious to the humble. The wise inherit honor, but fools are put to shame. Mary goes on, he has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. That should be a concerning verse to all of us because as it regards to people in the world and human history, we're all rich, very wealthy. So we need even more to be humble and trust Jesus. Jesus says this, he says, to those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. Mary goes on in verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. In other words, he kept his promises as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. 
And Mary remained with her, with Elizabeth, for about three months and then returned to her home. I told you last week, I think it's likely then that Mary is the one, uh, a good shot anyway, that she's probably for sure there at the birth of John the baptizer, if not the one delivering John from her aunt or cousin, Elizabeth. So what gifts did you write down as we looked at that passage of Jesus' announcement, of Gabriel's announcement of Jesus coming to Mary? I had a few that I wrote down that I see of God's good gifts to Mary. And I think they're similar gifts that he gives to us. Number one, God gave faith to believe and to take a risk, didn't he? Faith is a gift of God. It's a gift from God. Paul talks about that in Ephesians. It's not something I just conjure up in my own and I just, I try, 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 believe, believe. No, God gives it as a gift to us to have faith. And Mary had faith. She believed God's word. She acted upon it no matter how she felt. She took a risk, didn't she? A big one at that. Aren't you thankful for her? Aren't you thankful for her faith? Seriously, think about it. Mary's faithfulness 2,000 years ago affects you and me today. Isn't that exciting? That's incredible to me. It encourages me to be faithful. I think about that again in terms of our church, the people 30 years ago who gave of their time, talent, treasure, sacrifice to plant our church. If you were in the room with them when, that's one of your 110 questions this week. If you were in the room when it was decided, let's plant the church, uh, if it was based on your faith, what would have happened? Would you have stepped out and trusted the Lord, taken a risk? Aren't you thankful that they did? Aren't you thankful for all the people who gave, that you have a place to sit and we have a place to worship? Isn't it amazing that their faithfulness is continuing on for generations? That we have the same opportunity in front of us to outlive ourselves, to take a step of faith. But, but in general, where do you need to take a step of faith as an individual? Maybe it's a small thing. Maybe you're just like, you know what, I, I've got to put that sin to death. I've got to be done with that. Uh, maybe it's a big life decision. Maybe, maybe you need to take a step of faith in terms of a new career. Maybe God's calling you to serve. You know, there's, there's still more need for people to serve in our church especially in kids' ministry and in the nursery. Those are two I know about. But there's others as well. Maybe it's to serve in a big way. Maybe God's calling you to leave as a missionary. No, he would never do that. Yeah, just like he would never uh, cause a virgin to become pregnant with the Savior of the world, right? He would never send you to be a missionary. What, What if he's calling you? Maybe it's a call to more obedience in your serving, in your giving, in sharing your faith with other people. I think there's a handful of areas where we need to to step out in faith and take a risk as a church. When I told you that 30 for 30 journey, there's many of us, especially those in leadership, we're convinced that this is the direction God's leading us. But I also believe two other areas. One is in prayer. I think we need to be a group of people who pray more together and who pray more as individuals. I need to be a man who prays more. Uh, second is in evangelism. Friends, we need to be people who um, reach out with the gospel, who share our faith, who talk about it, who aren't afraid to open our mouths. Amen? And 
again, I know you're going to be tired of hearing me talk about it, but, but this 30 for 30 thing we're going on, those are two big focuses of it. Yeah, there's a building project behind it, but also it's, it's to get us into prayer as a church. It's to drive us towards greater uh, giving, greater evangelism, greater commitment to the Lord, and I'm telling you, greater joy. Will you exercise faith and take a rest? God gives us that faith. I'm praying for great faith in our church. Here's the second gift I see. Maybe you wrote this one down too. God gave encouragement to Mary to keep trusting him. See, because here's the deal. You may have stepped out in faith. Uh, maybe it was becoming a Christian and then your whole family abandoned you. There's stories like that in our church. Did you know that? People in our church whose families, after they became a Christian, have just said, so on. Maybe that's it. Do you need encouragement to keep going, to keep trusting the Lord? God gave that as a gift to, to Mary through her cousin or relative, Elizabeth. Two things there. One, you need to be an encourager. In fact, that's what it says in Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 10, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. So let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works and not neglect meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day approaches. Be an encourager. Don't be a critic. Don't be a critic. Be an encourager. Spur one another on. There's people who need encouragement. And if you need encouragement, don't be afraid to seek out encouragement. Now, when, when you face criticism, turn your critics into your coaches. But I, I would say it may not be the healthiest thing for you just to hang out with critics all the time if you really need encouragement to follow the Lord. Right? You need someone to encourage you. Let's be praying and be people of encouragement like Mary was or like Elizabeth was to Mary. Here's the third one that I see. God gave Mary a part in the story. He gives us a part in the story. You believe that? We live in Acts chapter 29. Somewhere between the end of Acts and the start of Revelation. You're part of God's story. You have a part to play. It's different than Mary's. It's different than Mary's. The Savior's already come, right? You're not going to give birth to the Savior. But it's a unique part. It's different than my part. It's your part. God has designed you specifically for a part in his story. Just like he did Mary. Will you trust him? Will you step out in faith? Will you be an encourager? Will you be encouraged? He's got a place for you. He's got a part for you. Would you trust him and live it out? See, when I live for my story, my life stinks. <laughs> when I live for Jesus' story, some major changes start to happen in who I am. I love people more. I'm more generous with my time towards people. I start to recognize that uh, uh, my preferences are an open hand thing, but man, when I hold on to the rock, I've got great joy and great purpose, and that's a great thing. You got a part in the story. Live it out faithfully. Trust the Lord. Amen? And lastly, let me say this, and then we'll close, we'll sing together, call it a morning. Um, if you're here today, and maybe you've, like me, you, you've spent your whole life going to church, doing church, but you've never trusted Jesus Christ, today could be the start of an incredible story for you, of you repenting of your sin, 
of becoming a Christian. Repent is just this word that means turn. It means turn from the way I've been doing it and turn to Jesus. To give him my sin, it's the ultimate gift exchange at Christmas. I give him my sin, and you know what he gives me in return? All of his righteousness. All of his obedience. Think about this, loved ones. If you've trusted Jesus, uh, this, is, this would be a fun study for you to do sometime over Christmas. To start reading through the gospel, and every time you see Jesus do something uh, gracious or loving or miraculous for someone else, like, like when, he, when he heals, when, when he performs miracles, all of these things, that's credited to you before the Lord. Think about that. He gives you all of his righteousness and he takes away all of your sin. Every good deed that Jesus accomplished is credited to my account before God. Think about that. Every good thing he does is to your account before the Lord. If you've never trusted Jesus, I just plead with you. Would you trust him? Become part of the story. Step out in faith. Become a Christian. Have the greatest Christmas you ever had. Amen? What we're going to do now, we're going to sing, we're going to take our offering, and then uh, we're going to call it a morning. So uh, let me pray, and the worship team will come up, and uh, the offering will be taken. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks for your good gifts of grace and mercy to us through him. And uh, Lord, I pray this morning uh, for each of us that we might see your good gifts to Mary, gifts of faith, to step out in faith and to take a risk. Lord, I pray that that we'd have great faith as a church. I pray that we'd have great faith as individuals uh, to be honored or to be honoring to you and honor your word and honor your son, to believe your word, acting upon it, no matter how we feel. I pray too that we would be people of encouragement and that Holy Spirit, you might uh, be our helper and encourager in big ways as we step out in faith, just like you were to Mary. And finally, help us recognize our part in the story. It's a small part, but it's still a part you wrote, and it's an important one. And and that we live it out, Jesus, for your glory, for others' good, and for our joy. So thanks for your goodness to us. We pray all this through Jesus, our Savior. Amen.